Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. So we're going to be reading from the book of Exodus, and this is, as we um, talked last week, this is our first week um, examining the first of the four pillars, this one about belonging, and uh, we're now going to be engaged in a um, journey with Moses over the next four weeks. What, what is it, Exodus Oh, man. One of my biggest fears used to be reading out loud in public. So here we go, without prep. Uh, The title of this is Moses Flees to Midian. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. He He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he said to the one who was in the wrong, Why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? He answered, Who'd may you ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me just as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. The priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. But some shepherds came and drove them away. Moses got up and came to their defense and watered their flock. When they returned to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come back so soon? They said, An Egyptian helped us against the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Where is he? Why did you leave the man? Invite him to break bread. Moses agreed to stay with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah in marriage. She bore a son and named him Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. This is the word of God for God's people. Thanks be to God. Praise the Lord, somebody. Just feeling out the room. Just seeing what we've got to work with. Praise the Lord, somebody. Amen. Amen. So, uh... Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Come meet us here. Do you guys believe that everything belongs somewhere? Kind of. Do you believe that like everything in creation has its place? Like everything is supposed to be here? Is, is anybody like super organized? 
a place for everything, everything in its place, that kind of thing. Is that how it goes? I don't relate to that saying, so I'm not sure if I said it right. Not at all organized. Uh, we've got every, I think everything belongs here. We've got birds, right? We've got uh, birds got to fly. We've got fish, right? Fish got to swim. Uh, bed bugs. <laughs> Belong, obviously, in your bed. It's right in the name. <laughs> don't worry. I mean, we, you can't summon bug, bed bugs by talking about them, so don't... Don't freak out. And I'm not Oprah either. I'm not like, look under your chairs. It's not, it's not like that. You get bed bugs. You get bed bugs. Everybody gets bed bugs. It's not, it's not why we're here. We're not here for that. It's fine. But, uh, you know, they're not great company. I get that. They're not, uh, you don't go look, well, you might go looking for them after this. Uh, <laughs> but they're a part of creation, right? Uh, you, has anybody ever heard anyone open a sermon talking about bed bugs? <laughs> so my problem is, <laughs> the problem is this is not my normal uh, uh, station. I'm actually like a case manager, so I spend a lot of time in a lot of houses. And they're just like a big part of my life, bigger than I anticipated. There wasn't like a class or like a training that'd be like, hey, dude, you're going to have to look out for these. So now you get to hear about them because I'm what you have to deal with today. Uh, but my preference is that they exist for some reason, and even if they don't like, have a purpose, like maybe things that don't have a purpose still belong places. I don't know. Uh, I just know that I have to believe that God's grace covers all of creation, everything, even the lowliest of the low things. I've got to believe that, because I have been a terrible person sometimes. I, I know that y'all are holy, and you can't relate to this at all, but I've got some sins under my belt. Like, I turned 28 last year, and some of the stuff I've gotten into in that time, I don't know, guys. I, what I'm trying to say is I put some points on the board. It's not a competition, but if it was, I'd be placing, all right, as far as sin goes. So I'm glad that I believe in a God whose grace extends and permeates all of creation, and I'm glad to know that in God's house I belong. What do you think of when you think of belonging? Also, it's okay to talk to me. I don't know where, like, what you're... I'm from, a, like, a Pentecostal church. Pentecostal, like, wasn't even, like, a part of a denom- denomination or anything. We just gathered together and shouted at each other <laughs> for, like, an hour, like, every Sunday. So it's okay to talk to me. <laughs> You have a really high bar to clear to like register as disruptive to me is what I'm trying to say. So feel comfortable to respond to anything I say or do in whatever way you feel comfortable. Uh, what do you think of when you think of belonging? Not Sister. <laughs> Safety, yeah. Do you think of a place? Sorry? Purpose. Home, yeah. I think of being at home. That's my natural environment, (laughs) inside. Um, Maybe you think of your family, groups of people. Um, I think it's becoming like a business thing, like kind of, belonging, like there's Ancestry.com, right? You you get your leaves, has anybody got their leaves? Who's related to, I don't know, Alexander Hamilton? Any cousins here? (laughs) Don't throw away your shot, guys, okay? (laughs) 
uh, you, uh, there's what, ans no, twenty-threeandme.com. Uh, you can figure out like that you're, I don't know, 0.05% Eastern Macedonian. You know, they just really break it down. I don't think that's real. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. I don't know how accurate it is. I'm not a scientist, okay? That's, I'm just saying, maybe take it with a grain of salt. But a sense of belonging is really important to people, right? It obviously is because everybody seems to be looking for who they are, where they come from, uh, things like that. It's a part of being a human. Are there any other psych nerds here? Psych 101, at least. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Nodding. Beautiful nodding for psych. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Okay. So you know, Matt, who, what's the first level? Yeah. Physiological. Like, if you don't do these, you will die soon. <laughs> like, you have to breathe. You can't go all that long without it. You've got to eat, right? Water. Physiological needs. Super, super important. So right above that, does anybody know the next step? Safety. Safety. Boom. Yeah. All right. Safety is super important. You have to be able to uh, keep eating and breathing and drinking in a place where you're not going to be killed immediately. Okay. You need security. You need to feel like you are secure. Uh, and what's the next one? The third one. If you need help with this one, think about the sermon series we're on and which thing we're talking about. Belonging. <laughs> Belonging is the next one, right? Like we have to feel like we go somewhere. We have to feel like we are a part of something. Uh, it's not just about being safe and eating and uh, having the basics. Once we have those, we need a context to exist in, a place where the I becomes a we, where the I becomes an us. And when we don't have that, something can go wrong inside. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong someplace? How'd that feel? Yeah. Rejected, yeah. It's not great. Like one star, right? Wouldn't do it again. <laughs> if, we, if I could choose, right? Uh, how did you handle it? Dignity and poise? <laughs> or hot mess? <laughs> some, some of us are more composed or other uh, than others. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some of you are dignity and poise. I hope so. Have you ever done anything uh, to try to fit in uh, that made you ashamed of yourself? Not that I want to admit out loud. Not that you want to admit out loud. <laughs> yeah. I already told you I've got stuff, so we don't have to get specific. But I, I have. <laughs> uh, you know, I tried to fit in once. Didn't work out. Now I'm here. <laughs> Stay in your lane, guys. <laughs> UBC takes everybody. Everybody belongs here, right? I'm I'm the proof of that. If you like, were worried that they were like anybody, like we had a doorman or something that was going to turn you aside. Hi. <laughs> no, obviously anybody's coming in. If you remember last week, Pastor Brittany told us a little bit about the early life of Moses. Uh, put in the basket. Is this familiar? Taken out of the basket. Super good. Okay. Um, you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but Moses uh, might have been what we would consider biracial in our terms. Kind of a stretch. Just give it to me. I need it. 
being biracial is really weird. Uh, so like, I'm I'm black. Just like <laughs> you too, girl. Come on, yeah, exactly, right? So. Just in a moment of transparency, I wanted to share that with you all today. I am, in fact, African-American um, and also Caucasian. That trips a lot of people up, so just like if you were curious, like, aha, there it is. I knew there was something. You know now. Um, so Moses, though, he was... Uh, <laughs> he, I'm sorry. I'm crazy. I know. He, uh, he was born an Israelite, right, in the house of Levi, but he grew up in the house of Pharaoh, He ends up caught between two worlds, two identities, and ultimately he ends up in temporary exile as an alien in a foreign land. You see, uh, he grew up in Pharaoh's house, right? He got all that Egyptian privilege. But he still ended up exiled someplace that he didn't belong at all. But that's the place where he finds his family. Moses acts in what he thinks is defense of his people. He ends up committing an act of violence uh, that puts him in, in the status of a refugee on the run for his life. He ends up in Midian where he found people who understand what hospitality is. They gave him a place to belong despite the fact that he was different and a stranger. I, I think it's interesting that uh, Ruel's daughters knew he was an Egyptian. Maybe he told them, or maybe it was the accent. Maybe they just assumed by looking. I don't know. He had Egyptian fashion. I don't know. But they seemed to know that he wasn't from Midian. So obviously they just left him outside by the well. They just went back home. Their dad's like, you're back early today. He's like, oh yeah, an Egyptian came and beat up all the shepherds, and now we're back. And you just left him outside? Go get this guy. He's like going to revolutionize our water gathering, and you just left him? Get your head in the game, ladies. So they bring him back home. He marries one of the daughters, right? They make a place for him. They accept him. They bring him in. Moses met these women at the well, and he treated them like people. He treated them like people who belonged there, who had every right uh, and every, every bit as much uh, of a need to be there as anyone else. He humanized them, and in return, he was humanized. Mutual humanization. People are like that. We are persons, and we can confer personhood onto each other. And sometimes, if you have power or privilege, you can use that to try to deny personhood to other people. You can try to restrict their freedoms and their liberties and their self-expression and rob them of the things that make them them. But that is not of God. Because in God's house, everyone belongs. When Moses... uh, got settled in, I just imagine that even though it wasn't probably where he thought he was going to end up, it must have been just good to belong. Well, that sounds like a pretty simple story, I think, Um, but that's not always the way it goes, is it? Even thousands of years later, we're having trouble making space for everybody at the well. We're having a hard time properly honoring each human being's sacred worth, regardless of country of origin. Uh, powerful people feel like they get to decide who belongs where, who's in and who's out. Powerful leaders of nations get to decide which countries are worth taking immigrants from and which ones are uh, not worth anything at all. 
however you say it, whatever terminology you'd want to use there. Powerful church leaders, in my experience, have invested quite a lot of energy in deciding who belongs, who doesn't, and where they belong, and how they're allowed to belong. But that's why I'm happy that I know a powerful God. Does anybody else know a powerful God? We have powerful rulers. And we have powerful church leaders who set limits and and impose human ideas of belonging on us. But we have a powerful God who says all are welcome. Do you believe that? Say amen. Amen. A God who says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. That's A to Z, people. God is on a spectrum here. That means that God reaches out to the L's and to the G's. God reaches out to the B's, and God reaches out to the T's, and God reaches out to the Q's, and God reaches out to the I's and the A's, and God reaches out to every kind of personality and identity that you were conceived with in your mother's womb and explore on earth. God is inescapable, and his grace extends to all. You can't surprise God. You can't come out to God. No matter what people say, God's, in God's presence, everyone belongs, and thank God for that. It can be really, really dangerous when people feel like they don't belong. Does anybody believe that? Like, bad things can happen, right? So, has anyone heard of Christian Picciolini? Looks like consensus is no. Excellent means you can learn something. I wouldn't just be standing here telling you a bunch of things you already know. So this guy, he's a Chicagoan. He's a former neo-Nazi. He started a group called Life After Hate. It's a group dedicated to using compassion and forgiveness to help former neo-Nazis and other extremist skinheads shed that toxic ideology. He said that people become radicalized because they are searching for three fundamental human needs. He says people uh, get involved with these groups because they're looking for identity, they're looking for community, and they're looking for a sense of purpose. Does this sound familiar? These people want to belong somewhere. For about eight years, when he was 14 to 22, he was active in extremist groups and became a leader of the Chicago area skinheads in the late 1980s. This is someone who was kicked out of school for beating up a a, a black classmate and um, insulting black staff and faculty there. But he is now using the power of his story to help other people leave the movement just like he did. And he says it like this. Nine out of ten times, the people that he's working with They've never had a meaningful interaction or dialogue with the people that they hate. It's, it's kind of actually hard to hate somebody. I think, this, I, this is my perspective anyway, like, I get tired, guys. Like, by the end of the day, like, I can't, I just can't hate you. I, if, I don't know what you did, but I can't worry about it right now. <laughs> I've got like eight case notes to finish. I don't, I, did I eat today? Hate? <laughs> it would have had to be, I don't know, really personal, something, I don't know. It would have, you would have had to really, really get to me for me to muster it up at that point. So, but if it was just like an idea, like I don't like plenty of ideas, that's, that's different. 
He says, they hate other people because they hate themselves. If for Christian, uh, he said the turning point for him came on the night that him and a group of thugs that he had recruited chased a black man out of a restaurant and were beating him on the street fiercely. They were kicking him and his face was swollen and somehow while this was happening the man looked up and locked eyes with Christian and in that moment something inside of him changed. The eye contact was all that it took. He was forced to recognize the humanity of his victim. He said he never hurt another person after that. He found himself suddenly confronted with the reality of his actions. So the approach he uses to help humanize people is something like mutual invitation. He kind of gets these people together, right? Uh, the, the people he's outreaching, young people in, in these hate groups, he just lets them meet the people that they think that they hate, even though they have no idea who they are, right? Never met them, have never had any access to these people, um, but just have a lot of stuff inside that they need to attribute to somebody, and why not black people and Jews? That's, historically, they've been a pretty good like, place to put that, so let's just keep doing that. Uh, and what often happens is that the people Christian finds show love to these racist Nazi skinheads. They show grace and compassion. They look them in the eyes. They meet them at the well of their own need. And they show them humanity. They treat them like they belong. They hear them. I think that is amazing. And something that doesn't happen enough in our culture. He says, when when the people he's working with, when they receive compassion from the people that they least deserve it from at the time when they least deserve it, that's when real transformation happens. Like I said earlier, I am glad that God's grace extends to all creation, even the lowliest of the low, even the chief of sinners, even me. I think Piccolini is showing that in the absence of a healthy sense of belonging, people become vulnerable to extremism. People can be left trying to fill in what he calls potholes in their heart. And they try to fill those holes left by trauma, left by addiction, left by abandonment, left by just a sense of confusion about who they are and where they're going. They try to fill those holes with hate and anger, and they find that they only widen the gap between themselves and their own humanity. So with that in mind, can we see the rise in hate crimes since November? Can we see them as more than just a rise of intentional evil? but as also a rise of disconnection and isolation, a spreading spiritual illness that the church can respond to in power by offering radical inclusivity and extreme hospitality. You know, uh, Moses isn't the only refugee in the Bible either. Uh, Jesus also at one point has to flee his home into Egypt. 
thank goodness there wasn't a big wall there. I don't want to offend anybody's political sensitivities or anything, so I won't talk about a real politician. We'll just make one up. Let's just call it a, name, a fake name like Donald Trump. Like, so, so anyway, <laughs> Donald Trump like, says something awful about, like, this is hypothetical. He says something like inconceivably horrid about, about a group of people that have no power in, in comparison to how much he has. Uh, what would the church's response be in that situation? What is a faithful response to the height of, 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 of racial power and privilege and economic clout? What is the response of a people who, save, uh, who serve a, a, a crucified Savior? How do we live out our calling and create spaces of belonging and inclusivity when this is what we are faced with? How do we do it? In a world where forces of division and exclusion try to erase the humanity of the weak, everything still somehow belongs to God, and that means they have a place and they belong, and everything and everyone and all of creation belongs in God's hands. Everything, everything, even bedbugs. It all belongs to God. So our role as people of faith is to continue to create communities of sacred belonging where everyone can find a place, even Nazis and skinheads and even black people and even Jews and Muslims and even, even the people we would call our enemies. And I could uh, get scholarly and exegetical if I wanted to, but I don't think there's any real, real reason to get complicated when I can get simple. So I just want to sum it all up really nicely by saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Hey, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong, he is strong, he is strong, he is strong. Thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. We serve a God to whom we all belong. Amen. Amen. I want to leave you with a quote from Mother Teresa. She said, The greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love. There is a hunger for God. <laughs>